is our Redeemer, that He holds our future. And we know that for those in Christ, nothing can separate us from your love. And Father, we praise you for that. Now, Lord, I just pray that by the power of your Spirit, you would use your word to change us, to sanctify us, to conform us to the image of your Son. And Lord, I pray for those that maybe have been going through wilderness seasons that even today they would see your, your hand working behind the scenes to draw them to you. For those that don't know you as Lord and Savior today, Lord, I pray you would save them for your glory, for their good. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Good to see you this morning. Children, have a great class. Be nice to your teachers. Teachers, thank you for serving as always. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles, if you would, and find your way to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. I do want to say, um, we talked about it as a worship team. Sometimes when there are technical issues, when things don't go the way you want them to go, it just makes you more dependent. And, you know, I often wondered how Jesus did it without all the technology. I'm just, I'm just not sure, but I guess he, he was able to, to preach, to teach. People got saved, and I believe that that can happen today. And listen, we're thankful that we even have a roof over our head. If you've ever traveled around the world and to some of the different churches, you know that some people just literally, they, they, they worship under trees. But God uses that. He uses all of it. When you read the Old Testament, you see God speaking through his prophets, speaking through his patriarchs. In fact, the whole Old Testament is a record of God speaking. And then you get to about 425 B.C. And there's what's known as a period of silence. 400 years of silence. It's also known as the intertestamental period, the period between the Old Testament and the New Testament. There was a veritable famine of God's word in the land. Fast forward 400 years, and all of a sudden you have this explosion of angelic activity. You see in, in Luke chapter 1, where Zechariah was the high priest all of a sudden is, is encounter, encounters a, uh, an angel who tells him that his wife Elizabeth, who'd been barren, who was beyond childbearing years, would have a child. He would be a forerunner of the Messiah. In that same chapter of Luke chapter 1, an angel comes to Mary. Gabriel comes to Mary and says that you will be with child of the Holy Spirit and he will be the son of the most high. And he will be a king forever. In Matthew chapter 1, you see an angel come to, to Joseph, Mary's betrothed, and says, you shall take him as a husband. That this child is of the Holy Spirit. I mean, all this angelic activity taking place. And then we see in, in, in uh, Luke chapter 2, when Mary has this child... It says that there were shepherds out in the field, and there's this explosion of angelic activity, myriads and myriads singing praises to God. 400 years of silence shattered. In fact, John chapter 1 tells us the word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
400 years shattered by word of a deliverer who would save his people out of bondage. You come to Exodus chapter 3, it also marks the end of 400 years of silence. In fact, in Genesis chapter 15, I believe it's verse 13, Abraham was told that, that, that his people would spend 400 years in captivity. There's no, as far as we know, records show, there's no prophetic word during that period of time. And then all of a sudden in Exodus chapter 3, that silence is shattered as Moses encounters what I believe is a Christophany, the risen Christ, or the pre-incarnate Christ. 400 years of silence shattered by word of a deliverer who would save his people out of Egyptian bondage. We see God moving behind the scenes. In Exodus chapter 2 last week, we saw Moses, a Jewish boy who was saved out of infanticide. He was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. He thought when he became 40 that he could save his people. Didn't go well for him. He ends up killing an Egyptian. Pharaoh now wants to kill him and he flees Midian. He flees to Midian and he becomes a shepherd. In fact, Acts chapter, tell, Acts chapter 7 tells us that he shepherded for 40 years. 40 years in the wilderness. Moses goes from the palace to the sheepfold. He goes from being somebody to learning how to be nobody. He was learning how God can use weak, imperfect vessels by his power for his glory. Moses was getting ready to learn a very important lesson, and I believe it's an important lesson for us. That God uses ordinary people who rely on his power to accomplish his will. I think that's good news. God uses ordinary people, humble people, submitted people who rely on his power to accomplish his will. And that's why I called this, this message, Extraordinary God, Ordinary People. 400 years of silence, and then God moves to fulfill his promise to take his people out of a foreign land and into the promised land. So we learn four lessons about God today from this passage. There's a lot of lessons, but I'm going to pull out four. Here's one. God sanctifies you in the wilderness. God sanctifies you in the wilderness. Now, if you notice, I put three dots after that. I didn't, didn't want to just leave that statement there. It's conditional. And it is if you allow him. God sanctifies you in the wilderness if you allow him. We can put up that next screen. If you allow him. And maybe we won't put up that next screen. But the fact is, I mean, you can write that. Oh, that's not the one I want. Go ahead and go back to uh, God sanctifies you in the wilderness seasons. L look at verse, well, first of all, let me just explain what sanctification is. It's to set you apart. It's to make you holy. And that's what God does many times when we go through wilderness seasons. Look at verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. 
Now, let me ask you, how would you like to go to school for 40 years? Now, I know we've got some doctors in this room that have come close. But think about going to school for 40 years, and you don't start until you're 40 years old. Now, the campus that Moses went to, I would say, was not beautiful. In fact, think of a spot as you're driving from here to Blythe. Somewhere off in the distance, you look and you think, like there might be a little shed out there. And you're thinking, how could anybody even survive out there? That was, that was what we would call Wilderness University or Wilderness U or to, for short, Wild U. That's where Moses went. He went to Wild U. That's where he studied. He went from the fertile Nile Delta to the hard pan of Midian. And, and if you notice in verse 1, Moses didn't even own his own flock. Notice what it says. Now, Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro. So, Moses, you've gone from the household of Pharaoh to now you're out in Midian, and things aren't looking great. Like, you're working for your father-in-law, which I don't think is a bad thing, but you're like the assistant sheep shepherd for Jethro. He had some things to learn. Some of us in the wilderness, we need to learn things. 40 years of waking up, same desert, same sheep. Well, they all look the same. Over 40 years, they're going to kind of recycle. 40 years of finding grazing land, finding water, protecting the sheep, guiding the sheep. Do you ever wonder why God had him spend 40 years in the wilderness shepherding sheep? Maybe he was preparing him for the 40 years that he took the children of Israel and brought them through the wilderness, helping them find things to eat, which God provided, something to drink, which God provided, protecting them, leading them. In fact, look at Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy is effectively like the recounting of the law. The nation of Israel is standing at the shore of the Jordan River, getting ready to, to cross over. And we hear this, and you shall remember the whole way that, the, and this is Moses speaking, that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. Why? That he might humble you testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Moses had learned Deuteronomy 8.2, and now he's sharing that with the nation of Israel. There's going to be times we go through wilderness periods so he can test us to see what's in our heart, to teach us dependence upon him. Now, 40 years ago, Moses is thinking... I got this. I can deliver these people. How'd that go for him? Not well. He ends up fleeing from Pharaoh. See, God had to break Moses of Moses. Why? To teach him to rely on God's strength. To teach him to, to be led by the Lord to accomplish his will. Some of us need to be broken of us. Some of you need to be broken of you. So you can rely on God's strength to rely on his leading. 
God put Moses in the wilderness not to ruin him, but to refine him. God has put some of you in the wilderness not to ruin you, but to refine you. Now, when I'm speaking about wilderness times, I've spent, as I'm looking around the room, know some of you have spent some time in wilderness seasons. And it's not easy. And it's in those times we shouldn't be saying, God, why me? But God, what do you have for me? What are you teaching me? And so often it's just dependence and reliance upon him. Moses learned the the value while he was out in the wilderness of living as a husband, of living as a father, of, of living under the authority of another. He had to learn to be faithful with what God had entrusted him with before he entrusted him with leading a nation. Moses had to learn to live in obscurity, to trust in God's timing. How many of you are great at trusting in God's timing? Just raise your hand really high. These are the lessons that we learn in the wilderness. He had to learn the importance of solitude even experience some discomfort. God uses people who've been through the wilderness. We we see it with Abraham. We see it with Jacob. 14 years, we were talking about it in men's Bible study. 14 years in the wilderness. Joseph sold into slavery. I mean, think about David. Anointed to be king. And then... We know that there was another season where he was just out in the wilderness running from Saul. Certainly Jonah, Peter had a wilderness season. God uses people refined by the fire of wilderness to accomplish his will. I'm not saying that wilderness times are easy, but I'm saying that wilderness times are where we can really grow. Notice verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out in the midst of the bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, and yet it was not consumed. Okay. Moses has been on the backside of the wilderness. He's, He's at the base of Mount Horeb, which is also known as Mount Sinai. We see that in Acts chapter 7. After 40 years, he would have known the land pretty well. If something looked out of place or something would have was unusual, it would have been clear. And all of a sudden, he sees this bush. Now, we live in the desert, so we have the benefit of understanding what a desert bush looks like. And he sees it's burning. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, and yet it was not consumed. Now, there's a lot written about what it meant. And there's a lot of people who have a lot of different opinions. Let me tell you what it meant. God was doing something. I think that's all we really need to understand. We don't need to go beyond that. And it says in verse 3, And Moses said, I will turn aside to this great sight why the bush is not burned. I mean, there was a curiosity. I mean, if you've ever seen a desert bush burn, I mean, it burns and it burns fast. And when it's done, it looks like a bunch of burned out sparklers. That's it. This bush continues to burn, but it's not consumed. 
So here's the first lesson. God prepares you in wilderness seasons if you allow him. Second lesson. God reveals himself to you through his word. God reveals himself to you through his word. Now we see that here. Look at verse 4. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Notice, when the Lord saw that he turned aside, God called him. Moses stopped his forward motion. He turned towards God, and God spoke to him. As I'm reading this, I'm thinking, how often are we in such a hurry? God wants to speak to us through his word, yet we don't stop and we don't turn to him. Like, I got too many things to do. I don't have time for you, Lord. Clearly, Moses had time. I mean, it's just like, sheep, hang on. I'll be there in a minute. I mean, he, he sees his burning bush. Think of the blessing of the fact that he stopped and he turned towards God. What an amazing thing. And God calls him. He calls him by name. Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And at this point, God instructs him, verse 5. Then he said, do not come near. Take, off, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Why was this holy ground? Because it was in the presence of God. In fact, you see in Joshua chapter 5, verse 15, when Joshua encounters the, the commander of the Lord's army. And he says, take off your shoes, for this is holy ground. That was a Christophany. That was a, uh, uh, um, Joshua encountered a pre-incarnate Christ. That's what's going on here. I want you to go back and just notice what it says here. It says in verse 2, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him. This wasn't just any angel. It was the angel of the Lord. Notice Lord is capitalized. That's his covenant name, Yahweh. In fact, Jews could not even speak it. They would call him Jehovah because they felt like it was taking, even to name the name of God was to take the, the name of the Lord in vain. So whenever you see Lord capitalized, that's his covenant name, Yahweh. But notice what it says. Verse 3, and Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight why the bush is not burned. And it says, when the Lord saw, notice, when the Lord saw that he turned aside, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. We now see the text moving from just any angel to an angel of the Lord to the Lord. This is the Lord speaking to him. And notice what it says in verse 6. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. This is an awesome moment for Moses. This is an awesome moment for anybody. He's in the presence of a pre-incarnate Christ. This is a Christophany. He's encountered 
Christ, the one who would deliver us from our sins. He's speaking to Moses who would deliver the nation out of bondage. Notice that God spoke. This is called revelation. When God speaks, it's a revelation. In fact, this Bible is the revelation of God. Now, we know that the canon of Scripture is closed. There is no new revelation. There's only illumination. That, that as we read the Word of God, the Holy Spirit of God in us illuminates what God is trying to say to us. And so we, we so often, I mean, what you see here is that God condescending to speak a word to a man, Moses. Now, what's amazing is that God still speaks to us today. How does he speak to us today? He doesn't give us a new word. In fact, if he did, we would have to get rid of our leather-bound Bibles, and we would just get three ring binders, and we would put new revelations in there. But what he does is by the power of his Holy Spirit, he illuminates his word. Now, through the Spirit, in fact, Jesus said in John chapter 14, 15, 16, he says, I'm going to go away, and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit who will teach you all things. You can't know everything right now. And the fact is, by his spirit, he may move us, he may impress upon us, he may use someone else to speak into our lives. But the fact is, God's word is living and active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword, and that's why we spend time in his word so we can hear from him. We can learn from him. I can tell you there have been times, in fact, when Pam and I were... Living in Dallas, we were considering coming to Phoenix, and we moved here, and all we could see was these desert bushes. I mean, just like we just did not want to come here, but we, we had sensed that the Lord calling us to come, and this was 2008, and it was, in, it was in May, and it was hot then, and we know that after we lived here, May's not hot. It wasn't hot, but we thought it was hot, and, and so we actually, there was a core group of people here, and we... we I, uh, we basically were looking around. We decided on a Saturday night we were not coming to Phoenix. We did not want to come. We talked with our boys. Everybody agreed. The next morning, I'm sitting in my hotel room. I'm, I'm reading the Bible. Pam's reading the Bible. And, and we're getting ready to go preach to this core group of people. And it was like, I just got this, this word that the Lord wanted us in Phoenix. As I'm reading my, my Bible. And, and I remember looking at Pam and I said, Pam, we're moving to Phoenix. She looked at me. And I said, I know the Lord's saying we're moving to Phoenix. She goes, I'm hearing the same thing. See, God still speaks. But the power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit in us was prompting us, this is where I want you to be. It doesn't happen often for me. But that was one of those times where it was so clear. She cried the whole time I preached. And I'm thinking, I'm not that bad. I'm not good, but I'm not that bad. But she knew that our life was getting ready to change. I don't think she heard a thing that I was saying. And you know what we did after, after the message? We went to In-N-Out Burger. Awesome. We didn't have them in Dallas. And then we flew home. And three months later, we were here. And God has blessed that in so many ways. But the fact is, God reveals himself to us through his word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's one of the reasons why... As a church, we open up God's word every week. We want you to hear from God's word. 
In our small groups, we open up God's word every week. Our young adults who meet here on Thursday nights, they open up God's word every week. Our students who, who are here on Sunday nights, they open up God's word every week. Our children in our children's ministry, guess what they do every week? They open up God's word. Our men's Bible study, women's Bible study, we want, we want to hear God's word because God's word directs us, changes us, sanctifies us. God spoke to Moses 4,000 years ago, and he speaks to us today, but not through a burning bush, but through his revealed word. And notice what he says here in verse 6. He doesn't say, I was the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. What does he say? I am. What he was saying is, they're not dead. They're still alive. See, in the, see, for those of us in Christ, we don't die. We're raised to life. All right. Jesus was confirming that those who are justified by faith in Christ are not dead, which now leads us to our third lesson, and that's this. God knows what you're going through. God knows what you're going through. He's a caring personal God. Look at verse 7. Then the Lord said, looking at to Moses, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I've seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. If you were here last week, you know that that's very similar to what we saw in chapter 2, verse 23, where the, the people of Israel, they cried out because of, their, of the taskmasters. They cried out because of the slavery and how God heard, God remembered, God saw, he knew. God sees when you're afflicted. God hears when you cry. He knows you're suffering. He sees the oppression. And listen, for some of us, that's, there's so much hope and peace in that, knowing that what we're going through is we're not alone. And notice here he says in verse 8, he tells Moses why he came. He says, I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. It's another picture of, of, of God condescending, taking on flesh. It's a picture of the gospel. He says, I've come to deliver them from the wrath that they were facing and to bring them into the promised land. This is a picture of what Jesus Christ did for us when, when he laid aside his royal robes he took on flesh. He, he became a man. He lived a sinless life, a life we could never live. And then he took to our place on the cross. He died a substitutionary sacrificial death in our place. And he was raised on the third day. And for those that turn from their sin and repent of their sins and turn to Jesus Christ, we have eternal life. The fact is, 
He has promised to take us to the promised land. It's also known as heaven. God has prepared a place for us. That's why Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Then you get to verse 10. It's like, what? God says, come, speaking to Moses, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. What just happened there? Verse 8, he says, I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. In verse 10, he says, come, I will send you, Moses. I'm going to send you to bring the children out. Moses, like, that had to have been a shock to him. Like, me? Wait, I thought you said you were going to deliver the Jews. And he says, I will send you. Our God is a sending God. He's an extraordinary God that uses ordinary men to do his will. Moses, after 40 years at Wilderness U, you're now ready to be my chosen instrument. And this was a clear call for him to go. Which leads us to our last lesson, and that's this. God goes with you when he calls you. God goes with you when he calls you. Look at verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? God had a clear plan. He'd made it very clear to Moses. He goes, I will send you. You will bring my people out. And Moses' response was, what does it say? But. Is it a good thing to say, uh, God, but? No. Maybe Moses was thinking that God would step back and say, you know what, Moses, you're right. I could use a little input here. I think I could use your help and your insights on how to deliver the nation of of Israel out of bondage. Let Let me sit back and take some notes here. Moses was effectively saying, really, Lord? Do you realize that I'm an 80 year old washed up nobody? I've been tending somebody else's sheep for the last 40 years. Have you seen my resume? It's like nothing anymore. Who's, who's, why, why would you use me? You want me to go to the most powerful person in the world and tell him to let his slaves go? Now, if this call had come 40 years ago, how do you think Moses would have responded? Let's go, God. I got this. He would have like charged in. But now real, Moses realized, I, I got nothing which is when now God can start to use us, right? It's like we're not, we're not trying to do it in our own strength, in our own power. And God responds with one of the most important lessons that we can learn about God, and we see that in verse 12. What does he say? He said, but I will be with you. But I will be with you. You're not going alone. This is not you and nobody else. I will go with you. See, Moses thought that God intended for him to deliver Israel. And that, as one commentator said, 
blew all of his circuit breakers. Maybe that's what happened to our air conditioners today. I don't know. But God was telling Moses that he'd be an instrument of deliverance, but God himself would be the deliverer, that God would fulfill his will, but he would use him to do that. See, God uses ordinary people who rely on his power to accomplish his will. I'm so thankful for that because I'm looking around the room and most of us are pretty ordinary. How many of you would just say, I'm extraordinary? Just raise your hand. Let's, let's have at it. Okay, right now nobody would say that. But this is one of the greatest promises of God. Emmanuel, God with us. In fact, we see in Psalm 23, verse 4, let's put that on the screen. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, if you remember, Joshua followed in the dust of Moses for years. And then Moses dies before they cross over into the wilderness. Joshua now becomes the leader of the nation. And listen to this promise in Joshua 1 verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. That's an amazing promise. But that was then. What about today? Well, look at some of Jesus' last words before he ascended into heaven. Matthew 28, 20 through, or 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold... I am with you always to the end of the age. But Lord, but, but, but Lord, I, I, th I thought you're the one that saves. Is God the one that saves? Yes. But God uses us, ordinary people, to accomplish his will. He says, I am with you always. You just need to be obedient and go. Some plant, some water, God gives the increase. But, but, but I don't know what to say. Teach them about their sin and how their sin has separated them from a holy God. And they're facing eternal wrath. But God, being rich in mercy with the great love with which he loved them, sent his son, Jesus, into this world to take their place on the cross. He who, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might receive the righteousness of God. And then if you turn from your sin and turn to him, you can have eternal life. I mean, just memorize Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Moses should have responded at this point as Isaiah did, when he was at, here am I, Lord, send me. I know you're holy. Then he tells Moses that there would be a sign. So this is kind of interesting. Look at verse 12. He says, 
but I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Okay, wait a minute. I want a sign so I have the, I I feel like I've seen enough so that I can go. He says, no, no, the sign is going to be after you've done what I've called you to do. You just need to be obedient, trust that I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do, and then when you come back, you're going to serve God on this mountain. In fact, I'm going to give you the Ten Commandments. I'm going to give you the law. Moses had a whole list of excuses. We'll look at some of those next week. But here's what we see. God uses ordinary people who rely on his power to accomplish his will. And as we study the, as we study the book of Exodus, we're going to see God moving in powerful ways. And that's the, it's the same God that moved then that moves today. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We know that. So here's a question for you. Have you been in a wilderness season? If you have, or if you are, make sure you allow the Lord to work in you. So that when he says, go, you're ready. Stay in his word so you don't miss what he might be trying to say to you. Don't fret or despair when you're going through difficulties. Why? Because God sees, he knows, he hears. But most importantly, he goes with you when he sends you. You're not alone. And the fact is, we know that God has not abandoned us. He sent his son to die on the cross for us. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to have our worship team come up. And I want to use that thought to move us into community.